Good morning, church. If you've been listening to those songs and hearing the, the prayers this morning, you should, should get a good idea on where the service is going this morning. And if that doesn't give you an idea, our passage this morning should make that for certain. For those who have got a hard copy, you should have a bookmark in First John, if you've been coming here for the last few weeks. And this morning we're in chapter 4, and we are starting from verse 12, and we're reading through to the end of the chapter. And I won't give you the title of the passage, because again, you'll, you'll work it out. So First John chapter 4, and we're starting from verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. May God bless his word. Morning, everyone. I'd like to introduce our speaker this morning. This is Tim Sparks. Tim is from Hertford Street. He used to be from Sunnybank, but then he abandoned us. No, he's doing a great job over at Hertford Street. Totally. Josh, um, so what are you doing? Uh, I'm working there as a student minister this year, and I'm also in my first year at Theological College over at QTC. How's it going? It's been good. I still haven't got my grades back yet for this semester, but I think it's okay. I'm enjoying holiday at the moment, but it's been really good to get really deep into the words with really good lecturers all throughout the week. Excellent. So welcome, Tim. Give him a nice sunny bank welcome. Thanks, guys. It's, it's really wonderful to be back here, to see lots of familiar faces, to sing familiar songs, and to hear that same 51 weeks to go until next Kids Club announcement. Um, it's, yeah, it's lovely to be invited to share with you this morning. Um, just as a little catch-up beyond what um, Daryl said, um, I was last here in 2017 when the partnership started with Hertford Street. Since then, I finally finished uni. Uh, I worked a bit uh, for a while as a software engineer, did two years of trying out doing ministry full-time with university students at UQ. And after a lot of praying and chatting and thinking, 
uh, it became clear that with the way God's made me, the best way to keep pursuing serving him was to be trained towards doing cross-cultural work in the future. So that's what I'm doing. And the hope at the end of Bible college um, is to be serving cross-culturally overseas with the gospel. Um, So I'd appreciate your prayers through these coming years. Study is not my best skill, um, but it's been so far a lot better compared to engineering was. Um, Hello on behalf of Hertford Street Baptist as well. Um, It's an exciting time for us in the life of our church. Next week is our 63rd anniversary service. So that's something we really praise God for, that he has been faithful and endured with us throughout that time. And this month, we also adopted a five-year vision as a church. Um, And that vision is that by God's grace, for God's glory alone, and as we proclaim Christ and make disciples, HSBC will be a church on mission that is maturing disciples and mobilized to multiply. It's really exciting for us. It's a really scary picture for some of us, thinking what that might look like for how we'll need to be prepared and where we'll need to be in five years for that to be the case. Um, That's what the church leadership has convinced that God is doing in our space. And so we really appreciate your prayers and support as we work towards what God is doing there. And we keep praying for you guys frequently in our services and whenever we meet. So how about we do that now as we get to God's word? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come together as your people in the Lord Jesus to hear and sing and declare the truths of him together. Lord, be with us now by your spirit. Help us to hear what you're saying, to hear it clearly, to be convicted by it, deep in our hearts and minds. Lord, may it change us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for quite a while, my generation, millennials, we've been known as the anxious generation. I think our society has become so connected through increases in tech and travel that suddenly so much of what happens in the world around us is impossible to avoid, let alone what's going on in our own suburbs. It's impossible to ignore the mess, the wars, the heartache in countries around us. It's impossible to stop comparing ourselves to the people whose curated images seem perfect online. The internet's given us so much. We can do anything, surely, from all the things we can learn there, but so many of us fail. What's wrong with us? I don't think it's just a millennial problem, though. When I was working with university students that were all in Gen Z, this was a big issue for them, maybe even bigger. They're the ones that have been born directly into this new society. And if my family is going, uh, anything to go on, Um, Anxiety is not something that older folks are free from either. I think it's deep in the core of our humanity. We want to know that everything's going to be okay. To the point where I still remember when I first saw the first pet insurance ads, joining the long list of insurance for houses and work and compensation and travel and liability and even our lives. We want to know we're going to be okay and to taste security and acceptance. And on an ultimate level, even as Christians, this is something we struggle with. We have to admit our assurance with God is still something that can be hard for us. Rory Shiner, who's a pastor over in WA, posted something on Facebook that I thought really put this well. He says that we keep asking questions like, have I trusted God enough? Am I actually on the boat 
or only imagining it. When I'm told to hold on to Jesus, how hard should I be holding? Is there a particular grip he prefers? Am I only holding on with one hand? What about when I'm asleep or when I'm caught up with work? What about when I doubt? What about when an old, seemingly beaten sin comes back to haunt me? Can you simultaneously be holding on to Jesus and wondering if God is real? What are the other guys doing? Is their holding on different to mine? Do their prayers feel more real? Is their faith more faithy? How is it that we can have full assurance that God is with us? This passage in 1 John this morning, I think it's all about that. John's giving us three ways that we can know that we live in him and him in us. And it's a passage full of comforting assurance that as Christians that he's writing to in the midst of division in his church at the time and for us still today, that there's a comfort we can know that destroys our ultimate fear of judgment. We can have an assurance that's beautifully simple and not dependent on us, wholly on Jesus. So let's get into it. The, the structure of this passage, it sets up these three ways in verses 13 and 15 and 16. Um, the first two are going to be pretty quick. The third's a bit longer, and so we'll spend a bit more time on that. But it's worth taking a quick look at actually what that phrase is getting on at and what it means. Um, so that phrase that God is, lives in us and us in him. For the word that the NIV translates as live, if you've got other translations like the ESV or something else, you might have abide or remain. And that's because the idea that's going on is it's a mutual, continued communion with God. So live or abide, that makes sense. It's talking about that kind of ongoing, continuous nature of it, to be living towards that thing that we have. But it's helpful to keep that remaining picture in your head, even if it's not in front of you, because I think that captures the idea that, in some ways, Christians are already there. And it's remaining in what we already have. In some ways, that's what the Christian life is all about, of remaining connected to Jesus. So as we're going, keep that picture in your mind. This isn't a phrase that's about how much we, God lives in us and us in him. It's about whether he does. John's been really black and white all through the letter, and I think that's the same here. So keep that in mind as we get to the first point in verse 13. Now, we're going to visit verse 12 a little later once we get to the love section at the end, so don't worry, we're not skipping it fully. Let me read verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. This is the shortest of John's points, but I actually think it's the hardest of John's points. On face value, it might just seem like he's saying what we all know, the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, and the Spirit is in us, and so that's literally God in us. That makes sense. It's true, right? But I don't think that really quite nails the intent of what John's got going in this passage. So far, if you've been paying attention to what John's been talking about in the Spirit in 1 John, he's been concentrating on the teaching of God's truth that shapes our minds and hearts that help us to remain in him. In chapter 2, we saw that in the Spirit at work teaching Christians so that they didn't need to rely on anything else and to prevent them from being swayed away from all the false teachers. In chapter 3, it's the spirit in us that changes us to declare Jesus and to be faithful and obedient to him and his commands. Earlier in chapter 4, the true spirit was the one that acknowledges the gospel truth of Jesus. 
So again, I think John has this teaching mindset in mind here. We have assurance because God's Spirit is in us, teaching us the truth of Jesus. And for John's audience, this is crucial. These false teachers that had been coming out of the church, they were saying they're the source of truth. They know the answer. They know where to look. They said hearing and responding to their teaching is the true way to know God and to be with him. Without them, you're going to be lost. John's saying that you don't need to look anywhere else for assurance that God is with you. God's spirit is in all believers teaching and convicting them of the truth of Jesus and his words. You don't have to look anywhere else. At the college I'm at, one of the lecturers I have has written a lot of books I've found helpful over the years, and it's really nice to be able to just go up to him any time during the week and ask him questions about any of that material. When I've got the author of the book right there, why do I have to go anywhere else? It's fantastic. It's the same with the Spirit's work in us. Why look somewhere else? look to other teaching, look to some other source of truth, when we know God in us, teaching and convicting us of the truth of the Lord Jesus. We don't need to go anywhere else to find confidence because we have God's Spirit teaching us. It gives us real assurance that he's there, and he's not just there, but he's showing us what is good and true. So we don't have to worry. Second point, as we keep going, The second way that we see it is in verse 14 to 16. As we've already seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. This second assurance is that God is with us if we're once confessing Christ as Saviour. This is acknowledging the teaching of the apostles and the first witnesses of Jesus. I think that's what's going on in verse 14. And confessing Jesus as Saviour means confessing a lot of things. It's acknowledging the truth and the riches of the very gospel itself. And there's a lot to unpack. In these verses, we see that Jesus is God's Son, that he's sent by him into the world to be its Saviour. And so to acknowledge Jesus as God's son is also acknowledging his father rightly, as we should. Declaring he is sent in the world is declaring that Jesus came in flesh to be amongst us. Confessing Jesus as saviour means confessing our great problem of sin. It's confessing our need for salvation and that faith in Jesus in his death and resurrection is the only way for forgiveness and life. It's declaring our total dependence on Jesus. John Carson puts it well when he says that God perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a saviour. When we declare Jesus as God's son and saviour, we're admitting all these things and we are saying that we're dependent on his work and not ours. The false teachers that had come out from the church They said you need to look somewhere else for salvation. Jesus wasn't enough. You need something more. The confession Christians make when they first come to faith, when they come and are baptised, and the ones that they make every day as we pray and as we talk with others, they're all we need. 
We don't need to find it in something else. The gospel message is enough. As soon as you add anything else, it's not good news at all. It's not assurance. The start of verse 16 then reminds us that this confession is intimately linked with God's love. I know you all would have seen that last time. Remember verses 9 and 10. Salvation is what comes from the atoning sacrifice of Jesus for sins. And that just wasn't some flippant thing, wasn't some plan B. It's the greatest demonstration of love that the world has ever seen. That God planned, as Ephesians 1 says, from the beginning, before the beginning of the world. When Christians confess Christ as Saviour, they're coming to know and rely on this love and they know great assurance that comes from it. And it's living in this love that is John's third point, and his last point on Christian assurance. Let me read from the end of verse 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. Now, whenever I get to this part, I feel a bit weird, because so far, it's been really encouraging. So far, it's all been things that sound like there's things I don't have to do. God's given us his spirit. Oh, great. God, we've confessed Christ as saviour, but he's done the saving. I didn't have to do the saving. Great. But now he's talking about us living in love. And I don't know about you, but at least for me, I'm painfully aware of how often I fail at this. Uh, the number of times that I've forgotten to pray for someone when I said they would, can't count. The number of times I've failed to welcome someone who's different to me at church, even a fellow believer, I've lost count. The number of times I've intentionally said something to hurt someone else is just unimaginable. If we take a hard look at ourselves, how is it encouraging for John to say that you can have assurance if you're living in love? But I do think this is meant to give us assurance and confidence helps to remember, again, the false teachers that were in their midst, the ones that went out from them but didn't really belong to them. What were they saying? You need to leave your people to find a new way. You need to abandon the teaching and community of your church and listen to us. They were telling them to abandon their brothers and sisters. And I think John has them in mind in verses 19 and 20. When he says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. God is love. He demonstrated it at great cost, the death of the Lord Jesus to save us. Any love like this is deeply alien to ourselves. And so whenever we do love, it should give us great assurance that God is with us. I'm not sure if you've heard some testimonies recently about God's work in the lives of Christians, but every time I hear one, I'm struck by not what this person has done, but what God has done in them in changing them to love him and love other people even when it's hard, and even when it takes great sacrifice. I think it's the presence of any of this that John is saying ought to give us assurance. Rather than being a burden, John's encouraging the church by saying that they're the ones who stuck around. 
They remained in the love of the community that they were in. They didn't leave. Again, he's not saying this is some sort of extent of love, like this is the way you've got to live to demonstrate that you're loving. It's, a, it's an in or out thing. It's the sort of love that comes from the Spirit's work in all those who have faith. It's the kind of love I think anyone picks up on, like I said, when someone's become a Christian. Let's be honest, our churches are not always the most lovable places. The only thing that draws us together most of the time is the shared love of Jesus. And sometimes even that's a bit wonky. It's not like the clubs down the road where we're all making a commitment to join that because we love the same thing that we're always doing together. It's not like your friends who you get to pick and choose. The welcome is they don't have a criteria of what they will allow in the door. Sometimes we wish they did, but they don't. Church is sometimes really hard to love. And so whether it's coming in on Sundays despite a hectic Saturday, kids playing up or work being terrible, or whether it's caring for people every week in their lives, or it's praying for the people in your life group that you still really can't get along with, John's saying all of these things should remind us that God's love is in us, the love that he's shown us in Jesus and is at work in us by his spirit now. Jumping back to verses 17 and 18, I think they show that this love produces great assurance. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. It's easy to get confused here. We all know verses like from Proverbs 9 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. John's not saying that love chucks out fearing God. He's saying that it chucks out a certain type of fear, our terror of judgment that's to come, of the punishment that we deserve and that we know all too well that we have every right to fear. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have rejected God in thought and action. All of us have failed to worship him or give him right honour and thanks as we should. Without Jesus, we have every reason to fear his judgment. We have every right to be judged. But when God's love is made complete in us and in our lives, this fear, it withers away. Not by confidence in ourselves. That could only get us to ruin but confidence in the loving grace and mercy offered to all of us in the gospel. God's people have no reason to fear judgment. Anyone in, with faith in Jesus has all their sin, all their shame dealt with on the cross forever and need simply accept that gift. Going back forward again to those last verses, it's saying that if we're not loving each other as brothers and sisters, the ones that are near us, how can we love God who we don't see? And that's one of the things that was going on in verse 12 as well. I think it's easy for us to understand this when we think about things like long-distance relationships and how often they fail. But I reckon for myself, my experience with COVID lockdown made me understand this even better. 
At the peak of isolation, suddenly all of my friends that were intimate and close to me in my city, 10 minutes drive away, seemed like forever away. Let alone people in other states or other countries that it was actually impossible to see. I craved intimacy amidst the isolation, and yet I struggled to actually love the people who I previously was around and loving before so much. And I suspect, like me, some of you might still be grappling with the changes emotionally or, or mentally of what that's had on you. I still remember when lockdown first ended, I arranged to have a dinner with a bunch of my students, and one of them were, ran up behind me and gave me a surprise hug, and normally I'd be so happy, feeling the warmth, but inside I was in shock, like, oh no, how dare he come and thin my 1.5 metres? This is terrible. I could get COVID. We're like this even with the people around us. So how much harder is it to love God? Then how can you say that you love God, but you hate his people? This love for brothers and sisters isn't optional. Verse 21 makes it clear it's a command for all God's people. But we can assure that rather than be a burdensome command, that this is actually something that God is at work in us. This isn't about our ability, our own confidence to do it, our own strength in doing it. God's already at work in us by his spirit. He's already teaching us what it means to love him and others. He's already teaching us to depend not on ourselves and on him. And so when we love, it's an assurance that he's at work, not us at work. So we've seen three ways that we can have assurance today that God is with us. His spirit teaching us. We ask our confession of Christ as saviour and living in the love he's first showed us in Jesus. I think there's a few quick ways that these pictures of assurance really help us today in our struggles for assurance, even now, so long after this letter was written. The first one of these is that assurance is simple and not mysterious. I think for Christians and for all people, it's really easy to chase experiences or feelings to have confidence with our standing before God. I've heard countless times, whether it's in Bible study or one-to-ones with people or general conversation, People say they don't feel connected to God. They don't feel his love. They don't feel close to him. Or maybe we think it's just something we're missing, that if we truly understood the Bible properly, or someone could show us the right way to have assurance that we'd be there, like some sort of mysterious key to unlock it. But rather than worry, rather than rely on our sense of feeling in the moment, John pushes us back to see that assurance is all locked up and secure in the simple gospel message. John's picture of assurance is one we can know fully, even in our darkest days, because God is at work in us, teaching and showing us that it's true. Even when our feelings betray us, when our circumstances create doubts, when we know we're not loving as we should be loving, we can still be certain because it's not based on us. Because our assurance is completely shaped around the gospel. The gospel isn't something that people just use to get in to the family and then graduate from and move on to bigger and better things. 
We're forgetful people and we need to keep hearing it, especially as Christians, again and again and again every day because it's this truth and this thing that we affirm that gives us great confidence and hope for the future. That's why we keep reading the Bible again and again, even if we've already read it completely, tens of times. That's why we keep coming to church and hearing each other declare the truths of Jesus as we sing, hearing people teaching God's word. Why we're convinced that our children need to hear it too. Christian assurance is built on the simple and wonderful hope of forgiveness and life through faith in Jesus. Of him being with us now and us being with him for eternity. You don't have to go anywhere else. It's simple. Second thing is that assurance is something we're given and not achieved. Society trains us to constantly desire confidence in ourselves. And so often Christians find ways to try to find assurance in what we do. It might come from coming to church your entire life, helping out or being on too many rosters. It might be from going along and being baptised at some point or simply speaking the words of the sinner's prayer. All of these things are great parts of the Christian life. But outside of trusting in Jesus, they're worthless. Outside of trusting in Jesus, there is no hope. Because all you're doing is trusting in yourself. We can never achieve assurance ourselves. It'd be a terrible thing for any of us to be confident of God's acceptance on the last day while still facing his wrath because we're confident that it's us that he'll accept, not his son Jesus and the way that means for us. But the beautiful thing about Christian assurance is that it is given and not achieved. It's God's spirit teaching us. There's no burden of having to teach ourselves. It's confidence in Christ's work to save us, not our work that would always fail. It's living in the love that's not a mystery, but love he showed us in Jesus so clearly, and that he is at work in us by his spirit now. Throughout the passage, none of these signs of assurance are things we have to achieve. They're all God's great and merciful gift to all Christians. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If we had assurance in ourselves, we would be most to be pitied, but it's through this great assurance we have in the gift of salvation through God's mercy and kindness in Jesus that we have true hope that lasts forever. And so finally, I think the last thing that we really have to say this morning is that this passage is saying you can have assurance that God is with you today. There's so much stuff in life we can't be sure about, we can't be sure about whether we'll still have work tomorrow. We can't be sure about our human relationships. This year, we couldn't be sure of when we'd have a flood and when we'd next have a flood. COVID happened. We don't know when we'll die. There's so much stuff we don't know. I still remember the time I was in a car with a bunch of uni students, and most of us were just about to graduate uni, hopefully, and we're all waiting for a text message. In the car, there were three of us, when we received the text message, two of us graduated, one of us didn't. It was a really hard car ride to Sydney after that. 
There's so much we can't be sure about that we can't plan around. But the beautiful thing about this assurance that offered us to the Lord Jesus is it's something that we can have today. It's not something we have to long for. It's not something we have to journey towards. It's not something that we have to achieve. For anyone, no matter who you are, no matter the way that you've wronged God and other people, no matter what walk of life you're from, where you're from, all people can have assurance that God is with you today through faith in Jesus. And knowing that assurance is a beautiful thing. I remember 11 years ago when I became a Christian. Previously to that, I was an anxious perfectionist. And for a lot of people I know now, they're like, what the heck? <laughs> You're like the most carefree people person I know, and they sometimes mean that in a bad way. Um, but for us, and for me, the gospel message is one of complete certainty. I used to worry so much and escalate my thoughts about what would happen if I missed that lecture, and then if I failed the assignment, and then if I failed the course, and then my degree was a failure, I'd be homeless, destitute, forever. But now today I know that through Jesus' completed work, no matter if I don't have a home here tomorrow, God is with me now, and I have a forever home with him for eternity. You can have this assurance today because of the work of Jesus, nothing else. It's something that you can be invited into through trusting in him, of saying sorry for what you've done, and depending on him with all of your life. It's not a mystery you need to discover. It's not something you have to achieve. It's something offered to us all. No matter how unworthy you think you are, God showed his love that this is offered to us through the death of his son. Constantly striving for something like this is so painful. But as John's been teaching us and as we get to the end this morning, we can have assurance today through God's work by his spirit in us, his help in confessing Christ as saviour, in the love that he's shown us, that he's now at work in us powerfully amidst his people. This beautiful and simple gift of assurance is something that every Christian is already given, whether you know it or not. So cling on to it and know that even when circumstances are hard, and even when you doubt, and even when life is messy, that God is living in you and you in him, and you can enjoy that forever. And if you haven't received it, it's something you can receive today by trusting in Jesus for forgiveness and life and salvation and glory forever. That's the best decision I ever made. It changed my life and how I think about the future. And it's one I hope you'll make today too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as messy people, of people struggling for acceptance for certainty and hope, but so often looking for it in the wrong places. Father, forgive us of the times we forget you, of the times we've lived thinking that we can achieve these things apart from you. Lord, keep showing us by your spirit the truth of your son, Jesus, of how great the good news is 
that all can come to have a certain hope of you with them in what he's done. Lord, help us to keep doing this if we're Christians. Lord, help us if we haven't yet declared our faith to Jesus to do this even today. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.